Heavenly Father, God, thank you, Lord, so much for this opportunity to come together. We ask right now, Jesus, that you would bind us closer together as you bind us closer to you, that you would open up your text in front of us, and that through these very ancient words, through this ancient book, we would begin to see more of who you are and how you've called us to live in this world. We bless you, God, for this time, and we ask that we glorify you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The title of this message is, It Is Well. And as we go into the book of Leviticus, and if any of us previously have tried to open up the book of Leviticus and read, we thought, this has no application to my life present day. And in many ways, you're right. We um, aren't currently anyone that I'm aware of. We don't really have a sacrificial system in place, yeah? Um, Even today in uh, Jerusalem, there's a very, very small, small um, community that is thinking, well, someday maybe the third temple will be rebuilt. The temple will be rebuilt. It'll be the third temple. We should practice sacrificial systems. So sometimes around Passover or other times you can see that they're um, practicing the sacrifice of a Passover lamb in the old city. It's a very, very small group. And I have a dear friend who's a rabbi and who's of the Kohen. He's a priestly member. So he would be one of those persons learning or doing this in ancient times, um, sacrificing animals. Really, the priests were like butchers. And he's saying, dear God, no. Like, I'm so glad the sacrificial system's over. I'm not interested in killing an animal with my bare hands. He's not, he he doesn't want it, right? Many of us would feel that same way. We are very, if we eat meat, we eat it because it's packaged to us in plastic, sterile, There's no trace, really, of blood left in it. Um, You may not even be able to identify what part of the animal is from. That's what we want, right? We don't want it to say anymore. Let me just distance myself and try to eat that for a little bit. So when we get into Leviticus chapter 1 through 7, God, through Moses, they start having this conversation. Here's all these Levitical laws. And you do get this sense like, um, hold on, I better write this down, right? As God's talking, dictating to Moses, and Moses is writing down the rules of these sacrifices. As we look at Leviticus chapters 1 through 7, there's five primary offerings. We've got the burnt offering, the grain offering, that's for the vegetarians in the room, the well-being offering, sin offering, and guilt offering. All of these offerings function in various different ways, and Kevin's talked to you in the last two weeks about how these offerings served to um, explain how God was interacting with his people, give us vehicles to set things right, um, not have to guess at a capricious gods or goddesses of the ancient world. And as we look at these offerings and we move on through, these five major offerings function specifically um, they start teaching us in the first portions of 1 through chapters 1 through 6, sort of the general procedure or reason for the offering. And then in chapter 6, 8 through 7, 10, proper handling, eating, and disposal. So anyone reading through Leviticus at all, or if you've read through Leviticus before, you might feel like it repeats itself. Um, it's weird. You know, it talks a lot about entrails and blood. Um, there's a lot of sprinkling It's putting things, it's very foreign to our world, right? We don't understand any of it. So when we come to Leviticus, we either skip over it, right? If you're in garden to garden Bible study where we're reading through the Bible, you use the time of Leviticus to catch up on Genesis and Exodus. (laughs) And you're just kind of like, that's fine. 
Or, you know, we try to dissect it. So people make these big giant charts and they're like, okay, I don't understand this at all. So they just compartmentalize it in all these different ways. And then as Christians, we'll often like do this kind of thing. We're like, okay, well, this makes no sense to me now. So it must only make sense in light of Jesus. So in the light of Jesus, let me see how all these offerings are functioning. And that's not a bad thing to do, but it's maybe not, in fact, let's be honest, it's not how the first hearers heard it and understood it, nor how they practiced it. So in light of this side, and I'm not endorsing this one in particular, this was just, you know, one of the things that you can find online. Um, In light of that, this side of the resurrection, this side of the cross, we can see these, these things differently. But I don't think that should be our first starting point as we look at Leviticus. And I think if we look at Leviticus and we can get beyond the sacrifices, by the way, this is a free app that you can get for your iPhone or iPad. And it's kind of like Fruit Ninja, but it's the sacrifices. And yes, you just all made that sound because you're like, ew, right? Like, I don't really want to slice my finger across and see the heads fly off of the sheep. But let's be honest, as I downloaded the game and played... (laughs) for a very short period of time. So, so basically what happens is like the animal with a blemish flies up into the area and then you can't sacrifice that one. Like if you, slash, if you do that one, then that's right, like the fruit ninja poison. So, so that, that animal with the broken leg, you needed to just let go. Um, it's, it's weird. Oh, and you can't, if a pig flies up, don't sacrifice that because that's not kosher. So pigs didn't, so this is the fun game. It's free. I know you're all like downloading it right now to play. But as I played for a few minutes, it's put out by this great organization, Jewish educational organization called Godcast, which is G slash D because they don't spell it the name of God out of reverence. Um, when you, when you do it, I immediately had that ew, right? Like I don't, I don't, Wanna, I know I'm supposed to sacrifice that animal because it's flying across my screen, and if it drops, I'm going to get an X on the top. But like, I don't really want to do it, even though it's a cartoon. Um, it's, there's something about Leviticus that as we approach it, we don't really know what to do with it. We don't know how to handle it. We either make it all about Jesus, and we strip away all the blood and the guts and the gore, or we skip over it entirely, or we sit down and we try to parse it out and analyze it to death so it becomes very sterile like an operating room. But rarely do we let the book of Leviticus then push this way and start to work on our hearts. And I think Leviticus chapter 3, this particular offering can give us some insight. I think all of the offerings can give us some insight. What to do when we do something wrong. What is the picture of sin in our lives? What happens when I lie? What happens when I cheat or I steal? Or something dies between us. Trust dies between us. And there's a cost of that sin. And so we see something die. God understands that we need mechanisms to understand his grace, his mercy, but also to see restoration and reconciliation come back into our community. And this was the language of that day. And it's actually much less bloody than the other language and cultures that were running around during that time. But it's still hard for us. But I think this offering here has some new insights. I'm praying to God that we might... Um, see some gifts that God has given us um, as we practice them today. Leviticus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. If the offering is a sacrifice of well-being, if you offer an animal of the herd, whether male or female, you shall offer one without blemish before the Lord. You shall lay your hand on the head of the offering and slaughter it at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and Aaron's sons, the priest, shall dash the blood against all sides of the altar." 
You shall offer from the sacrifice of well-being as an offering by fire to the Lord, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is around the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the appendage of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's son shall turn these into smoke on the altar with the burnt offering that is on the wood on the fire as an offering by fire of pleasing odor to the Lord. I'm just going to end there. Kevin read this full chapter to you last week when he talked about all the fat is of the Lord's. That what we start to see in this very beginning portion is that in this particular offering, actually as in the others, the fat, this best part, belongs to God. And as that fat burns, I don't know if you've... So my husband is a great cook, and he um, doesn't keep kosher. And... uh, because we're Christians and we don't keep kosher. And so when he makes prosciutto <laughs> and it burns, it's that nice, delicious, right? Guests who've been at my house are like, we know exactly what you're talking about right now. The smoke alarm goes on. The, we have to air out the house. Now, granted, we don't have a big house, but that fat burns and smokes and is thick in the air and there's a pleasant odor to it. That's that first offering that goes up to God. And you can smell that offering to God. You can smell the goodness of it. But this offering in particular is distinctly different than others because the rest of the animal is not offered up to God, but it's consumed by the person bringing the offering. Now, as we look at Leviticus, I'm in full agreement that these aren't verses we're going to be throwing up on shirts or bibs anytime soon. Although this one, it's like, you know, you shall bring a goat and the offering. I could see a kid wearing, wearing that or maybe on your grocery bag. You know, going, and his obligation is sacrifice of peace offering, you know, herd, male. Maybe that's the bag you carry your meat in, right? So this isn't bumper sticker Christianity. We have to dig into our verses a little bit and look. But as we look at this beautiful well-being offering, let's kind of look at the words a little bit and understand it. In Hebrew, it's seva shalamim. So the tseva part is the offering word, and shalamim is the well-being word. Now, if you're reading in the NIV or others, you're going to see different translations for this, so let's break it down. In the tseva part, it comes from the verb to slaughter, and really it's come to meet a food offering or to celebrate a sacred meal. In Akkadian literature of the day, that word or similar words like it were always used to talk about this is a sacred meal right? It's going to be something different. It's not just, I can make this offering to you. It's something that you do in religious worship. This is this sacred meal offering. Now, in the previous offerings, this other word that we've used, the mincha, that can only be eaten by the priests. But the tseva is not as restricted. The tseva affords the worshiper the experience of joining together with the priests in a sacred meal at which God himself is remembered as the honored guest. This offering is different immediately from the other offerings. Those other offerings belong only to the priesthood. It's only a sacrifice. You don't get to go, I'll just take this great, amazing lamb that I've been waiting to eat, and then I'll take it, and they'll butcher it up for me, and I'll take it back home and eat it. There's all these very strict restrictions. The meat has to stay inside, and and that's actually true here too. This was a meal that you had to eat inside the precinct of the tabernacle, But we, all of us as worshipers, if you weren't of the priestly line, you weren't of the line of Aaron, this meat was for you and for the people you invited to have this meal. The tseva portion tells us it's different than these other mincha offerings that are happening previously. 
So that seva is an offering that expresses joy and gladness and gratitude and thanksgiving or relief. That's the only time when you come and you do a seva offering is when you are feeling one of these emotions. It's a well-being offering. And this is where we come into our next word, shalamim. This word has, you can hear the word shalom in it, which is how people say hello and goodbye, peace, peace. And so in our translations, you'll see this is a fellowship offering or a peace offering or in the NRSV, a well-being offering. Because these ideas of peace or greeting or of well-being, of wholeness, things set to right, fellowship, tribute, gift of greeting, these are all wrapped up in this one word, shalamim. And so when we look at this together, then, this specific well-being offering is a sacred gift of greeting. It's a well-being offering. It's a fellowship offering. And it's a peace offering. And it's given freely. It can be given because of a vow that you've made or kept. And it also is given for thanksgiving. But no matter what reason you come and you bring that offering, the common denominator of the Tseva Shalamim offering is joy. Here's the verse from Deuteronomy chapter 27 in verse 7 that also speaks of this offering. You shall sacrifice the well-being offering and eat them rejoicing before the Lord your God. So the distinctive feature of Shalamim is that only the blood and token fatty portions of the animal are placed on the altar and only certain prescribed portions of the meat are eaten by the priests. Most of the animal is eaten by the offerer and their invited guests as a festive meal in the Lord's presence. And you do this when you have a reason for thanksgiving or joy or gratitude in your life. Can you imagine this in our life? Can you imagine that every time you had gratitude or you had joy or thanksgiving in your life for something that God had done, that you had a vehicle and a mechanism to say, hey, everybody, I'm going to bring my best without blemish and we're going to offer it to the Lord, but we're going to be able to sit in the precinct of the tabernacle and we will partake of this meal with God and with one another. I just can't even imagine such a thing. All of this in many ways harkens back to Abraham's first visit with the visitors in Genesis 18, where he jumps up and welcomes the three visitors into his tent, making fine flour, which is the same type of flour that will be used in the sacrificial system with the tabernacle, and sacrificing an animal, the very best. And then we find out that one of those visitors is God's presence himself. So when we see this system coming into place as the Israelites have moved out of Egypt and now into the wilderness and are trying to figure out how to encounter God and trying to figure out how to set things to right when things go bad, but also how to remember God in their midst when things go good, we see this beautiful vehicle of coming and sitting in God's presence, sitting in the house of the Lord with our loved ones who are celebrating with us. And as they do this in this beautiful way, you can imagine, like, what if every time something really great happened in your life, you got to go to the White House, pick whichever president you like in your mind, okay? I'm not going to force one on you. I have my personal favorites. So you got to go and you got to sit with this person in charge or this king or, yes, God himself, and you got to sit there and fellowship with, you, you get to bring your friends your closest family and friends, and you could say, let's go celebrate. I just got a great job. 
My child was sick and now they're well. Let's go celebrate. And the leader of the world, right? God himself, king of everything, is sitting there celebrating with you. Saying to you, yes, that was incredible. I'm so thankful that this child was born, that this child was healed, that these beautiful things started happening in your life, that this friendship occurred, that this kind word was shared in a relationship where there's been only brokenness. And we get to freely come before God, bring something, and stay in his presence as we partake and eat. I think a lot of us, when we have these beautiful and wonderful and great things happen, we have this sensitivity of, well, I don't want to brag about it. And what if somebody's child wasn't healed? That Won't that make them feel bad? So then we kind of cover up the Thanksgiving moment. Or what if somebody else in that room is still struggling with finding a job and, and I want to celebrate that I found one or struggling with not yet finding a partner, a mate in this world, and I've now found one. Have you ever found yourself trying to, like, shush your own joy out of sensitivity, well-intentioned sensitivity. Yeah? I, I've found that. And it's not a bad place to be, but this beautiful mechanism that's in chapter 3, this offering is for the individual and the community. It's not like you just by yourself go and like, mmm, that meat's so good, and you don't share. Everybody partakes. Everyone is blessed when one of us is blessed. And I love this idea that we can shout these things from the rooftops, that the blessing and thanksgiving of all is the blessing and the celebration. The blessing and thanksgiving of one is the blessing and celebration of all. And that those blessings flow over, right? Like if you saw your neighbor just get that whatever amazing new thing, you're like, oh, they're going to give that great offering. I hope I'm invited (laughs) to that meal. Let's hang out, (laughs) right? You're like, hey, so when are you going? I think I'm free that day. That lamb looks good. I've been watching you take care of that animal, right? And you get to go and participate in celebrating with them what God has done. And I think if we had some mechanism like this, some place where we could go and say, here's what I'm grateful for, here's what I'm thankful for, and that we freely were able to celebrate with those other persons without feeling that we didn't also get to participate in that blessing. It's hard, I know. We can stand there in places and say, yeah, but it hasn't happened for me yet. Or it's not happening for me in this way. But if we saw God's story as a larger story than the one only being told individually in our lives, then we would be freed up to say, well, at least it happened there. At least it happened for someone. At least it's still happening in our community, Israel. At least people are being blessed here. There are people that are being healed. There are children that are coming into this world. It's happening for all of us. Therefore, it's happening for me too. That's a hard place to be, but it's a beautiful place to be when we stop feeling like all of this is just about me and my individual story and we move a little bit more back in time to the Israelite thought process of tribal and communal place. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one is blessed, we are all blessed. And you know that your New Testament teaches that to you as well. When one part of the body is suffering, then we are all suffering. When one part of the body rejoices, we all can rejoice. And Leviticus 3 gives the people of God, gives the Israelites this amazing vehicle to celebrate with one another, 
to be grateful with one another, to talk and share about God's goodness without bragging, and to make sure that we are acknowledging his miracles, his loving kindness, and blessings in our lives. Because most often, you all and me too, we come for prayer when things are bad or on the precipice of being bad, right? Where it's like, well, I have this big test tomorrow, so I'm not really sure, so could we pray? Like, I just need as much help as I can get. We rarely come and say, I just wanted to thank God. I got an A on that test. I studied hard. I worked really hard. I asked God to help me. And in partnership, great things happened. Or beautiful things happen. So for me right now, I just want to stop in my community and just say this. I am so thankful that I have a church here that lets kids play drums after service and climb into the uh, kit case, right? And just play. I'm thankful that my daughter has amazing, beautiful friends this little one, that she just cannot wait to see every time she comes to church. I'm thankful for you all being this kind of church. I'm thankful that her adoption is done. I'm thankful that I don't have to pay another attorney fee that I know of, thank God, at this moment, to say, at least not for her adoption to be final. I'm thankful for dear friends that walked that journey with us, that listened to me lose my mind and loved me anyway on the other side of that conversation and didn't question whether or not I still loved God. I'm so thankful for a husband that prioritizes all those things and loves his daughters well. And can I just say, I'm thankful for a 26-year-old daughter who sits and has Shabbat with me, with my youngest, and we sing the songs together and we participate in the meal. And she is so incredible, my oldest. She's just such a gift. And Friday night, and I told Kevin this afterwards and I told her this the next morning, We had some dear friends over who are older and a little bit uh, lonely. And uh, the one spouse wanted to leave and the other spouse was hanging around and the other one was like this and this. And the reason why the one was hanging was because Tabby sat there and held space for just every word he wanted to share that night. And I didn't have to teach my 26-year-old daughter. I didn't have to pull her aside and go, hey, by the way, they're kind of lonely. When we have them over for dinner, could you just make yourself spiritually and emotionally available would you share silly videos on the phone with him and would you just help him to feel loved and connected i'd have to teach her that she just did that and i'm thankful for that and i bless god for that because that is miraculous we all have reasons why uh, we can feel justified in in being unkind because of the hurts we've experienced in this world and my daughters love well and i'm thankful for that i'm thankful for a church that loves them well and teaches them how to do that i'm thankful that on tuesday i sat in a day-long training on how to help your church re-embrace the cause of the refugee and as i sat in that training one of the sessions was dear pastors now that you yourself are convinced on how we need to love the refugees. And now you're going to have to go home to your congregations where maybe there's some different views. Because people haven't read the Bible. So, um, (laughs) sorry. I don't know how you get to love your neighbor and your enemy. Okay, I'll stop commenting. But in that moment, I'm so deeply grateful that this is you 
You guys, we set the goal at $10,000. And when I set that goal, I didn't think that was going to work. Honestly, I was like, well, let's pray. I'll be glad if we get to like eight. When we, back in September, said, can we raise $10,000 for refugees? And can we maybe start to make a difference in the lives of these individuals who are suffering? I mean, right now, as they are walking, you, I don't know if you saw, I mean, but the drownings that are happening, these are not necessary. This loss of life is ridiculous in our world. Why are we forcing people into rubber rafts to cross six miles? This is insane. And there are now pictures of people, parents who've been holding their babies and keeping them warm, who are losing fingers and toes to frostbite. So we don't just have people who've suffered atrocities and terrible war and fled certain death. Now we're going to push them into a new world where they're physically handicapped because we can't give them a ride. Greece has just passed a law making it illegal for anyone to give a ride to refugees. What are we doing? What is this madness? And I didn't have to listen to that on Tuesday and think, gee, I hope I can go back and convince my church to be like Jesus. God got to come back here and go, yes! You guys are incredible. You raised 41, and it's still moving. Every day I check again, $41,000. I cannot, I'm so humbled and so thankful that I get to be in this church and that I get to be your pastor. This is amazing. You all are amazing. And these are things that I'm greatly thankful for. So the first thing that we do, if we want to get back to the the real vehicle and meaning of Leviticus 3, the first thing we're going to do is we are going to acknowledge the miracles and the blessings in our life. And we will publicly say, God has done this thing. And as we think about a way to acknowledge this, we're going to create ritual. And ritual is a great thing. Now, in the Israelite community, ritual was Leviticus chapter 3. Now, they don't have the sacrificial system anymore. I don't know if you knew, right? The temple's gone, so we all stopped sacrificing animals. Much, again, to the celebration of the vegetarians in the group. But as, and, and anyone squeamish and can't play like the app game, right? So we're very thankful for this. So how do we continue to replace it? Well, it was replaced through prayer. It was replaced through still going and making some sort of offering to God through prayer in our community, a prayer of thanksgiving. Now, as we create that ritual, we understand, like in the Bible, that there is individual and communal joy. And in the Bible, that meant a thanksgiving meal. And that's what we do every November, isn't it? Like we celebrate our gratitude and our thankfulness, thanks to Abraham Lincoln and others who pushed that. It's a free will sacrifice that ensures that our greatest moments of happiness will be accompanied by a meal, a moment to appreciate the blessings in our lives and to give the Lord thanks. And I just think ritual, meal, thankfulness, these things should all go together. We have something like this in the church, don't we? It's communion. It's when we remember that last supper of Jesus, that Passover meal he shared with his disciples. And in those moments, we pour out our gratitude and our thanksgiving for the relationship we have with our Messiah. Now, this practice of ritual in our own individual lives, it can take on different forms, right? Oprah is right, you guys. She's not always right, but she's right on this. Keep a gratitude journal. If every day, and I'm going to encourage us to do this this week, if every evening as we were going to bed, we sat back at the end of our day and we said, 
Where did Jesus show up today? What am I thankful for today? What am I thankful for in each of these moments? Oh, I woke up. My body didn't hurt as much as it normally does. <laughs> or, you know, I, I re- had a great dream. I had this great dream the other day that I met Bono. It was awesome. Phoebe woke me up right as I was kind of stirring a little bit. It ended a little too soon. But what I know is that he already knew my name, so we're tight. So Bono and I are tight. And it was really, he's like, yeah, I know you like my music, but it's about the social justice. Like, that's right. Let's work on this thing. So, you know, gratitude journal. Can we have a journal where we just sit down and say, thank you, God for these little beautiful blessings in our lives. And after we acknowledge the miracle, after we set a ritual for remembering it, these blessings, these miracles, these grateful moments, and this is what I do every night with my youngest. We sit there and we just try to list all the things we're thankful for. And as we do that now, I hear her throughout the day. She'll go, thank you for, because we then insert things, giraffes, gorillas, mommy, daddy, Many of you are listed with regularity, as well as the teachers at school. Thank you for church. Thank you for our home. Thank you for food. And now I see that coming through in the rest of her day. This practice of gratitude. So then we practice it, right? We acknowledge the miracle. We find a way to keep a ritual, whether it's through a gratitude journal or through a meal once a week or whatever it might be. And then we practice the well-being offering. So we all together in these moments, we are invited to the king's table. We're invited to sit in the presence of God with our loved ones and to say, thank you, God, for this. Thank you, God, for these things that you've done this week. Thank you, God, for these amazing ways in which you have blessed me. And we have a mechanism for this, don't we? When we take communion. So here's what I just thought about, and a whole bunch of team of people made this pull together. Let's practice now. Here's what we've done. We've ordered a bunch of food from Sultana's. Really yummy food. And what we're going to do is we're going to pull out a couple extra tables. We're going to huddle around and squish. One of you from each table, you're going to go back and find Miss Tina. She's going to hand you a tablecloth if we have it and some paper plates or things like that we might have. We're going to set up a buffet line in the back. But before we start the buffet... It's good food, y'all. It's good food. Uh, Before we start, we're going to take communion together. And then around the table, my encouragement to you is to say, hi, my name, and then joyfully share. And you'll be able to freely and joyfully share your blessings in your life. And I guarantee you, even in the lowest and lowest points, we can still find something to thank God for. So today we're going to just celebrate those blessings and we'll thankful, thankfully share them with one another. And when the person shares, celebrate back. Okay? Don't just be like, oh. No, come on. Be like, that's awesome. Because of you and this blessing, I'm having great food. Yay! <laughs> and together, we will practice this ritual of gratitude. Sound good? Because this is a well-being offering. It is well. We are here. We're with amazing people who love God. We are together. We're alive. We're hungry. And there's food. All of these things are miraculous, wonderful things in the moment. So let me close some prayer. And then I'll give you instructions, okay? All right. Jesus, thank you so much for inviting us to the table. 
Thank you for starting a ritual, keeping an old ritual and starting a new one for those of us that would follow you, where we get to come to your table and thank you, God, for all that it is that you've done for us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your body. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for allowing us to be part of this beautiful story. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for dying for us. And thank you for rising again give us new life. Jesus, I pray right now a blessing over our time together as we practice this ritual of gratitude, this beautiful offering, this peace, fellowship, well-being, shalom offering. And we trust, Jesus, that you are here with us as we celebrate in your presence. Amen.